I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Kami Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter, where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us. Tune in as we take you through the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. Bonjour. 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 Nice to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> so nice to be here. The home of Chanel. So now we're going up to the atelier, but I would kindly ask you to turn up your microphone. Okay. The doors to the houses of haute couture are normally kept firmly closed, perhaps because of the prices or the high-profile wardrobes these dresses will soon belong to, or just for the element of surprise. But this season, we managed to get those doors open. Join us as we enter the ateliers of some of the world's most highly regarded couturiers, plus all your regular segments, including Dressed for Radio, Risk Takers and Social Media Break. And make sure you stay with us for the grand finale as we sit down with Hollywood legend Susan Sarandon. Once again, this episode would not have been possible without our sponsors, the buzzworthy new dating app, Bumble. Let's go to the show. So, what is haute couture really all about? Well, haute couture is directly translated from French as high sewing or high dressmaking. I guess on some level, haute couture is the name for the area of the Venn diagram where fashion and art merge, or I should say overlap. Yeah, I suppose it's the symbol of ultimate luxury and extravagance. The design process is much more intimate. The idea is that the clothes are one of a kind, heavily embellished and extremely sophisticated. And the thing is, haute couture actually has a very specific definition, a set of standards that need to be met for your creation to be officially defined as haute couture. The fact is, not even the Cambridge Dictionary seems to really get the definition quite right, as all it says is that haute couture is the business of making really expensive clothes of original design and high quality. But in reality, it's far more of a complex term that technically should not be thrown about lightly, as it's protected by law. So guys, bear with us for a second while we get into the technical stuff, because we did some background research that we actually found really interesting. So in France, the term haute couture is defined by the Chambre de Commerce et d'Industrie de Paris. The Chambre syndicale de la haute couture is itself defined as the regulating commission that determines which fashion houses are eligible to be true haute couture houses. The Chambre syndicale is an association of Parisian couturiers founded in 1868 as an outgrowth of medieval guilds that regulate its members in regards to counterfeiting of styles, 
openings for collections, numbers of models presented, relationships with press, questions of laws and taxes, and promotional activity. Basically, only companies mentioned on the list drawn up each year by the Commission are allowed to call themselves haute couture. Rigorous criteria for haute couture was first established in 1945. To earn the right to call themselves couture, members had to design made-to-order with private clients, have an atelier in Paris that employs at least 15 members of staff full-time, present a collection of at least 50 original designs to the public every fashion season of both day and evening garments. The thing is, whereas ready-to-wear is worn by normal people like us, couture was always aimed at an elite. Socialites, celebrities, royalty, very wealthy private clients. Before couture became a reality... Privileged women would just have a personal dressmaker, and when a new trend would come into the world, the lady would instruct her dressmaker to make her a new piece that conformed to the latest fashion. In the late 19th century, Charles Frederick Worth was the first ever couturier who produced a collection much in the same way as an artiste works on a piece of art. What I mean by that is he produced without commission, and the ladies actually chose their favourites after they'd seen them. The dressmaker as an artiste was thus born. And this is still the basis of the type of haute couture that you see twice a year on the runway in January and July. Uh, and by the way, if you're wondering about the price, if you have to ask, you don't need to know. We asked some of our friends and peers at the haute couture shows last week to give us their thoughts on the subject. Hi, I'm Alexia from System Magazine and also Fabrizio Vitti, <laughs> a hot new shoe designer. We wanted to know, what does haute couture mean to you? Expensive. Hi. <laughs> What's your name? I'm Charlotte from The Fashion Guitar. First of all, what does haute couture mean to you? Dreams. Ah, oh, that's very nice. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Constance Chabronski. Tell us, what does haute couture mean to you? Haute couture is probably what I would wear if I want to be really comfortable, but I want to look like $2 million. <laughs> Hi, what's your name? Adam Shapiro. I own a communications agency called L52. Cool. And Adam, what does haute couture mean for you? It means one-of-a-kind, beautifully crafted pieces. What's your name? My name is Charlotte Calypso. My job is uh, being a model for at least uh, for the last 10 years. What does haute couture mean to you? In one word, it would be untouchable. Uh-huh. <laughs> My name is Chloe. Perrin. So what does haute couture mean for you? Uh, haute couture means eccentricity, first and foremost. Um, first picture that comes to mind is a lobster hat by Chaprelli that uh, that was inspired by I think Salvador Dali's lobsters. And uh, yeah, it's just kooky, eccentric, crazy, big shapes, uncomfortable stuff. Nuts, nuts. <laughs> Perfect. Behind the scenes at the Victor and Rolf Atelier, we were witness to how couture has slowly changed over the years. It's no longer just about bespoke gowns and high craftsmanship. Yes, today haute couture is the designer's opportunity to show off his or her creative skills, as well as convey an important message of their choice through art and often theatrics. Case in point, what Victor and Rolf told us the day before their show. Haute couture is the core because... 
We love it because we love to experiment. We have always regarded fashion as much more than a parade of dresses for the season. Our shows are a bit like performances. There's always a story to tell. Yeah. And we, we look at the clothes a bit like actors in a play. So, and especially this season, that's, um, that's ac accurate, I think. We should mention that there are very big heads around us that are going to be worn by the models. It's like they're dressed up as living dolls, is that? Action dolls. Action dolls. That's the, the title of the collection. And they've got their uh, Doc Martin boots ready for and, action. Yes, and Victor and Rolf slippers. And they're dressed in like a bomber jacket, you know, like a cool, tough look. Uh, a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans. And then that is, that is put through the Victor and Rolf uh, machine, let's say. So it becomes a surreal play on uh, silhouettes, extreme silhouettes. Everything is padded and uh, the colors are green, black, purple. Uh, all, all these girls are uh, fighting for a better world. And there seems That's to be an element of diversity going on here. Yes. Is there, so is this so show a vehicle for a message that you want to put across? Well, first of all, the, the patchwork uh, um, goes back to the upcycling of the, the last seasons that we think is an important message. Because the, the, patch, the fabrics that we use are vintage fabrics, from very old to not so old, but uh, it's a symbol of uh, yeah, unity. Whatever we do, if we design perfumes or wedding wear, or, or we don't have um, a customer in mind. We do like to play with um, existing elements that are familiar in, let's say, something that is very feminine, like ruffles or bows. And you'll see that, again, in this collection, you see that in the wedding dresses we do, there's, um, let's say, use of uh, feminine cliches, if you will, uh, which we all, we'll, we'll always turn around. We'll always transform them into something that's new and, and contemporary, we hope. Um, so this time it's... Uh, a very almost militant garment, a bomber jacket that is made feminine because the padding makes it more soft. Uh, the ruffles are all padded. So there's, there's this dichotomy between uh, something aggressive but also something feminine. And this collection is a good example of that. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's something we will we'll always come back to. Thank you so, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank Victor you for taking Rolf. the time. We really pleasure. appreciate it. With and we pleasure. look forward to seeing the show. This time on Risk Takers, we are going to take you with us to an haute couture show that really stood out. Our Iris Van Herpen ticket has taken us across town to the Cirque d'Hiver, which means Winter Circus, on the edge of the Marais. As we crowd into the large circular space, we're met by total darkness. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to get hundreds of fashion people to switch off their phones at the best of times. And especially not when they think they're hiding in the darkness and no one can see them cheating. Except there's a light shining directly on their faces and giving them away as disrespectful underminers of the oeuvre. From a pretty much almost total darkness begins to emerge a strange moaning musical sound. And suddenly... We realize there are enormous human tomb-sized fish tanks scattered around the circus space. Inside the tanks are real-life humans playing musical instruments underwater. Violins, piano, cello, creating an eerie, romantic, muffled musical sound. 
Entranced, our eyes bolt from one tank to another, and we suddenly realize we've been sat directly in front of the pièce de résistance. The source of that faint moaning sound, a woman dressed in rags, singing into a microphone underwater, like a mermaid, only coming up for air every three minutes or so. Wow, that really was quite an intense experience. But I guess we could have known. When we spoke to Iris van Herpen at her atelier, she did hint at this. Yes, while she zipped around preparing for the show, she did take some time out very sweetly to speak to us about the relevance of haute couture as a higher art. I would say that you're a brand that's extremely innovative. Mm. And would you say that that's something that's very different to other more traditional couture brands? I think so. I think uh, tradition and craftsmanship are the base elements for couture, but I feel it's moving as well. I think our world is, is changing a lot and technology is such um, elementary in, in everything that we, we do. And I think it's natural for couture to go in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, but that's really recently. I think that's slowly changing, that technology can actually be part of couture. Yeah, yeah. because that's, that's a big part of your brand DNA, technology. Talk us through how you first began 3D printing. Weren't you kind of an innovator in that? Um, yeah, I've, I've been using several techniques yeah. uh, from quite the beginning. But the very first years, I only did craftsmanship. I wasn't using technology. So I, you were at the beginning, you started off like more of a, a traditional craft I designer. actually went even further. The first years, I didn't even use a sewing machine. Oh, I did everything every by, hand. by hand. <gasps> yeah. Here you see quite a lot uh, from the collections. Uh, we have the cliché. We have um, this is actually real metal that's laser cut. Some 3D printing in, but on the background. Okay. This is more like a weaving technique. Very sculptural. Yeah. Intricate yeah. and sculptural at the same time. Yeah. Beautiful. It's the same technique where you really uh, can see the body through. And uh, it's really about the movement when you wear it. And we can see this lady thing. is finishing it right yeah. now. Yeah. So final adjustment. Yeah. So how long would it take to make a dress like this? Um, we, on the full collection, we work half a year. But a lot of material development takes longer. So it's 18 dresses in um, six months with a big team. Yeah. How would you describe the material, like what this dress? I, I don't even, I'm at a loss for words, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually a collaboration with uh, an architect called Pila Beasley. I work with him a lot on textures, um, and this is one of them. There is a mylar, again, that is laser cut, so it's like a, a white lace underneath. And then there is metal <laughs> sort of flower domes that are stitched by hand on top of it. Amazing. Okay, so the stitching is, is hand yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah, we combine a lot uh, the handwork with uh, some modern technology. And how many people come together to work on this collection in your atelier? Uh, I think in total we are with 14. Yeah. 14? Yeah. What's yeah. the longest you've ever spent on one garment? Uh, we've spent one year on one dress. One year? With several oh. people. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> now see when people don't understand what couture is, this is what it's about. It's yeah. about a real... It's art. It's yeah. art. Yeah. yeah. And it's time doesn't matter. It's fashion in its purest form, I suppose. Yeah. And how many people would be working on this garment at a time? 
No, not, not, not the whole. Um, it was on and off. Okay. Like some uh, part of the process would take three or four people, and then maybe one or two months it would only be one or two people, and then some other months it would be more people again. Do you think it really is very important today to continue to have this sort of almost inaccessible but art form of fashion? In I a world where everything is sort of very disposable and quick. It's I think it's getting more and more important. Yeah. In yeah. general, it, in a world where technology becomes so big, I actually think the value of craftsmanship is growing as well. Agreed. It, everything is in balance, yeah. And it's so important yeah. to pass these skills on, to have these little ateliers that employ people yeah. that can be passing on a trade yeah. that is going to be forgotten, if not. Absolutely, yeah. And what do you say to those who criticize haute couture as being unattainable for too many people and ex too exclusive? Well, um, it's the same with art. And I think there's a lot of accessible clothes already. Like, does everything in the world has to be accessible? <laughs> exactly. What is the answer? You can't have everything in big amounts. Agreed. Then we lose all value in life. Yeah. And I mean, if there was only haute couture, we would have a problem. But there is a lot more ready-to-wear and mass production, maybe even too much. Yeah, so it's absolutely. very much about creating a balance. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us on such a busy day. The show is in how many hours? I don't count them. We need to count. <laughs> I'm going to count for you. Less than 24 Well hours. below 24 hours. We can't and wait to see the show on the runway. Thank you, Iris, for having us. Yes, it really was a privilege to see your craftspeople at work. This time on The Birds and the Bees, in partnership with Bumble, we're going to take a look at the rules of dating. Haute dating, actually, if you will. Inspired by the Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture's rules for designers, we've drawn up our own list of qualifiers to render you dateable. And as such, I hereby name us the Chambre Syndicale of Haute Dating. There you go. We are open-minded, but some things are a must. For example, good manners. Hold the door open. Chivalry is not dead. Help the lady back into her coat if she's struggling and flailing her arms. <laughs> and for God's sake, do not spit, ever. And only ironic selfies will be accepted. Actually, did you know that Bumble won't even let its eligible bachelors upload a picture if it's a selfie or a mirror selfie? Quite rightly. And I think that actually makes Bumble the couture of dating apps. There, mm. I said it. Indeed. On that topic, actually, no unsolicited photos of any part of your body, ever. No open mouth breathing. No steroids. No talking about your ex. No crotch grab. And leather pants. Please, please, th that's just for me. <laughs> no skull wear either. Or naming my breasts. And no cell phone on the waist. The 90s are over. Congratulations. If you are all those things, you may now date us. And by us, I obviously mean me because Monica is already engaged. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In order to understand the whole journey of a couture gown, we felt it imperative to track down a muse. Someone who's had the good fortune to step into the world, decked in a dazzling made-to-measure piece, and tell us exactly how that feels. This was always going to be a bit of a mission because, surprise, surprise, neither Cami nor I have ever had the pleasure of wearing haute couture on the red carpet. Nor do we know many people in our immediate circle who have. Well, you can only imagine our faces when we found out that Susan Sarandon an icon amongst icons, a brilliant actress who continues to kill it on the red carpet year after year, was in Berlin attending the same event that we were covering on behalf of Mercedes-Benz. By the way, Susan's work goes far beyond the red carpet. She has been a trailblazing humanitarian worker for many years. She actually agreed to share some of her couture memories with us. So, up next, and I still need to pinch myself that this actually happened. Me too. Here we are in one of the suites of So House Berlin with the Susan Sarandon. <laughs> so we're here in Berlin with the legendary Susan Sarandon <laughs> and the wonderful humanitarian Bryn Musser. And you. Susan, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your involvement in the Mercedes-Benz fashion story and the collective and your nomination of Bryn. And then Can you come back, back in a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was flattered. I mean, Mercedes is a substantial, classy brand. And I was really intrigued because they specifically were talking about a car that was eco-friendly. And then they said I got to pick up protege and... I've known Bryn for a long time. I mean, I've been working with Artists for Peace and Justice for a while, but then when the earthquake in Haiti came and I went over, that's when I met Bryn. Was it 2010? Mm. And he was kind of our guide because he'd been there for a while and filled us in and everything. And, and what I love about him is that he's also a filmmaker and you know, he stayed, he understood the the importance of telling stories in order to get people to empathize and identify and to change things. I think I've always, you know, looked up to Susan, as so has the whole movement. And we've been lucky enough, I think, to work together for the last now seven years all over the world from, as Susan was saying, from Haiti, where we met, to Kathmandu in Nepal. When uh, the earthquake happened there, I was responding to the disaster and we were trying to tell the first ever uh, documentary film using virtual reality. And I knew that 
we could make a really powerful film there. And what we needed was a voice of somebody who could narrate it and also who could, because of their participation, have other people take interest in it. Of course, the first thought was Susan, who had been working for years already in Kathmandu before the earthquake in Nepal. So I called her and within an hour, she sent a really beautiful voiceover that we put on the film and released about a week later. It was a natural collaboration with Brennan a number of times. And when I recently went to Lesbos a few years ago, I called Bren. You have been the ambassador in a lot of situations like hunger and AIDS and promoting women's rights around the world. And you've been so successful at reconciling these very important causes with the glamorous world of Hollywood. How do you get that balance right? I'm probably less good at the glamorous part, actually. (laughs) I live in New York, so it's not as present I do it as a form of self-preservation because the world can be look pretty hopeless. And then when you start to work grassroots and you meet these volunteers and you meet people that have slugged away, you know, really work, not dilettante that I am, but really dedicate their lives to changing lives. It's a pleasure and it's invigorating and it's inspiring to be able to tell people about them and be able to shine again, shine a little light on the efforts of these people that are so selfless because we otherwise you don't really hear about them. And so, you know, people right now in the United States that say they're so depressed and so terrified and everything, and I say, well, that's because you're not out in the street doing something because if you were, you would see how many young people are really dedicated and are really doing real things, not just complaining or cartooning or whatever, but are really hands-on. And there's an army of millennials. There's an army of people that have been around forever that are still doing it, you know, that are my age. And so I'm not depressed. I'm not, I mean, of course I'm, you know, worried, I suppose, but I I don't think we can indulge ourselves in those emotions. I think that the the antidote for that is to do something, even if it just means calling your representative or writing a letter or donating time locally at your school or at your shelter. There's so many different ways to be engaged. And once you start to be engaged, you meet wonderful, wonderful people that are really have great energy. And so in a way, I do it everything very selfishly. Absolutely. We're now going to go on to Sarandon, the fashion icon. <laughs> um, so we've just actually come from the haute couture shows in Paris, which we've been covering. And we were wondering... What was super cool? There was a lot. A lot. Dior really? was beautiful. Dior was magnificent. Really? Yeah, and Victor and Rolf had a really interesting show as well. Yeah, mm. they were all about diversity, they actually... And sustainability, you know, they use yeah. everything is reused and taken. Oh, great. We were actually wondering... Do you remember your first ever moment on the red carpet and what you were wearing and how you were feeling? I'm trying to remember now. uh, I was married to Chris Sarandon when I was 20, and he was nominated for Dog Day Afternoon. And we, I went to his Academy Award, and I didn't have hair, makeup, or anybody lending me dresses or anything. It didn't even occur to me to do that at that time. (laughs) And I wore a vintage dress, very simple, and did my own hair and makeup. It was a black velvet, just very simple. I just saw someone posted a picture the other day. And um, we were in a vintage car. And when you go to the Academy Awards, you're in a, a, a queue that goes very slowly for miles and miles and miles, even before all the security it was at. And our vintage car overheated, and we had to knock on the door of a house and ask, <laughs> 
for water to <laughs> to uh, to cool the engine down. And and then when I was nominated for Atlantic City, I got a Norma Kamali that they wouldn't even give me a discount. And it was just very Greek, very... I had short hair at that time, and, you know, it had kind of shoulder pads and a deep V, and I went with Richard Gere, who I was seeing at the time. and, and uh, But I couldn't even get like a discount on my Norma Kamali, let alone a dress made for me, you know. And when I came to Cannes the first time, I was also wearing like vintage stuff. I saw a few pictures of me from that. Do people find everything? You cannot... I'm stunned by some of the things I've never even seen that that go on the, you know, online and I, I don't know where they find them, but I had, when I came with Pretty Baby was the first time I went to Cannes, and that was a literal riot. <laughs> and the film caused a riot, I guess, because it was a little mall. Brooke Shields at that time was, not, I don't even think, 12. And I saw pictures of us, and I also had a vintage, very kind of sheer dress, black, kind of simple. Of course, I weighed about 80 pounds at the time. And that was the first time I was educated to the fact that when people take flash pictures, you can see right through your dress. (laughs) So luckily, I had on bikini bottoms, but I had no bra because for some reason, no one ever wore a bra at that time. You know, I look at even movies like The Hunger. Nobody was ever wearing a bra for years. I was young, so... It didn't really matter, but I had on, again, just a little, you know, thrift store, but very pretty, very delicately made black sheer dress for the premiere, and that was another... But Louis went right in and left us to be eaten by the crowd, and there were no security or anything. We had to fight our way, and when we got into the theater, I remember seeing arms coming. So they slammed the door. There were arms in the door and everything. It was, and, and then in the back, I could hear that the movie had started, and we were just, like, standing there. So Cannes has changed. It's now corporate just like everything else. You know, everything's yeah. very locked down. But yeah. in those days, people were dancing on tables. And, and then there was a picture I just saw recently, have you seen this picture where I'm on the edge of a building? I, again, don't have anything on. Underneath a black, like a short tuxedo jacket that I had gotten one of the waiters in one of the chic restaurants to give me. And I'm there with, you know, you can you can Google it. Nothing on underneath, but this little, with some kind of pants and a Converse sneakers or something. Some kind of... Sounds amazing. Yeah. We need to find this. You'll find it. It's, it's everywhere. When you're, when you're walking the red carpet, would you say that that's, that is almost one of the roles that you have to learn how to play as an actress. I haven't learned it. And when I would walk with my daughter when she was doing that, she was like in five inch heels and already 5'10", so I was this shrimp. And I've never been really comfortable because it's just, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, really. It's a very awkward, for me, still very awkward time to do all the posing. and. You didn't look awkward in Ken. <laughs> you did not look awkward. I wouldn't say. <laughs> Have you saved any of the gowns? Are you allowed to keep some of them? You, yes, you are allowed to keep them, but it's pretty hard to wear it a second time. <laughs> the one that I won the Academy Award in is in a museum. I think it's in the Met uh, with that rust color, very simple. That was indestructible. That was a good choice, that one. But then some of them, I was pregnant. I also presented quite a few times. And I remember one, I had like a 20s, another beaded kind of short dress and... But now, yeah, they're they're very generous, but really, the, the one in Cannes was made for me this past year. Uh, yeah, and that was... The green one. I was amazing Stunning. that it fit great, so I thank Michael Angel for, for doing that, because he is the guy who gets everybody together. 
I mean, I know that sometimes, on occasion, some people, very prudish, prudish people on the internet, people. have deemed your outfits too revealing. And yet, you were always on the best dress list in Vogue, Vanity Fair. Well, they only think it's too revealing because I'm so old. They wouldn't think it was too revealing. I mean, there have been plenty of people that have been much more revealing. Well, yeah. But but have of this world these people? Why can't it's you? ageism. It's just ageism. And as long as my kids aren't bothered, I'm fine. They're the only ones I really care about making feel awkward. If other people feel awkward, that's their problem. Do you see clothes as a means of empowerment, actually? or? I think if you feel confident in something, then that's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. You know? yeah. And if you're comfortable, if you're not worrying. I mean... I, I try not to wear something that I think is going to malfunction, that you can't sit in or that's so fragile that it's going to come apart or something, because that makes me worry. But I think women who find something that they feel comfortable in and that they feel confident in, then that is empowering, and they should wear whatever it is that makes them feel good about themselves. And then that is attractive, because it's the essence of the person that really, you know, attracts you is alluring, whatever verbs you want to use. It's not the actual dress. It's the way you wear it and, and the fact that you own it. So if you can't own it, then you shouldn't. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, you. Yeah, thank you. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. Well, have a good wedding. <laughs> well, thank you. Have fun. This is the advice I gave my daughter when she was picking out her dress. I said... Because it's the same thing. You have to be comfortable in it oh, yeah. all night. So imagine you dancing in it. If you can't dance in it, don't get it. Yeah. Because you want to be able to last the whole evening. I'm a pretty crazy dancer. There you Not go. a good dancer, just too crazy. <laughs> good advice. Great advice. Yeah. I mean, now we need to go and hunt for that dress. We have to drive for that. <laughs> First dress she picked out, she's... They were giving it to her, and it was a gorgeous dress. It was strapless and everything. She called me up the next morning. She said, this is Gwyneth Paltrow's dress. This is not my dress. And I said, well, then get the one that you want. She, she knew exactly the one, and it was a fabulous dress. Her whole wedding is in a Vogue book about weddings, and she got a great dress that really held up through the whole evening. It was so comfy. I'm going to look that up. Backlit, that kind of has just lace in the back, but very interesting lace. It's really pretty. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. Cool. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm going to be there to help. Yes, you are. I will. <laughs> you are the stylist number one. Thank you so much. Thank you, this guys. Good to talk to you. you. Great to talk to you. And we'll see you tonight. Oh, yes. yeah. We'll see you later. <laughs> Thank you, Susan, for sitting down with us. God, that was so cool. <laughs> This time on Social Media Break, we're going to take an actual social media break. Hey, we wanted to encourage you to take an actual break from your phone and from social media. We were very inspired by Susan Sarandon and her protege, the humanitarian and filmmaker Bryn Mooser, who have been working in unison to get a powerful message across. So we thought we would follow their lead. After listening to them talk about all the work they've been doing together... And since we've now had over 1.5 million downloads, yay, which we're super grateful about, we thought this platform would be the perfect place to remind ourselves, present company included, obviously, that clicktivism and sharing news, good or bad, on social channels just really doesn't have the same impact as doing something yourself. As Susan Sarandon once said to us two minutes ago, instead of sitting around being depressed about the state of the world, why not get off your ass and do something worthwhile? The point of fashion beyond the appreciation of art and creativity is also to be able to grab people's attention and maybe put across a greater message. Like, for example, 
Victor and Rolf, who are promoting diversity this season. In the same way as the community really came together in the wake of the Grenfell Tower, the fire that happened in West London, the really big tragedy that happened recently, I think we really want to encourage you all to get out of your houses and go and talk to them. Get involved, get yeah. off the internet. Get off the internet, go down to your local community, ask questions, see what needs helping with. I used to go and do the soup kitchen on Thursdays and it actually makes a huge help. Just you talking to people uh, and being there, being part of your local community actually makes a hell of a lot of a difference. And sometimes showing up and volunteering face-to-face is how you figure out what actually needs doing. So this could be humanitarian work, it could be your local soup kitchen, as Kemi says, it could be getting politically engaged in something you really care about to make the world a better place, just get up and do it. Yeah, let's turn our phones off and go and do something for once. That's all for today, folks. Thank you to all our guests for your insights on haute couture. Victor and Rolf, Iris van Harpen and Chanel for opening the doors to your ateliers. Susan Sarandon for sharing your fashion memories as well as your humanitarian work with Bryn Musa. Mercedes and the Carla Otto teams in London for making this possible. And last but not least, a special thanks to Fashion No Filter's official sponsors, Bumble. Thank you all for listening and, well, see you in September. And we're just going to leave you with a few more little excerpts from our friends at Haute Couture. What's the weirdest thing that has ever happened to you at a fashion show? Well, there was a Marc Jacobs show once uh, back when I was at KCD in New York where Beyonce was there and the photographers were swarming and really the only way to get out of their way was basically to crouch down and hide between her legs. (laughs) So you were between Beyonce's legs for like 15, 20 minutes? Well, I wasn't like burrowed in there, but (laughs) but I was, you know, I was sort of like protecting the photographers from getting to her. Sure. What is the weirdest, craziest or most wonderful thing that you've seen or overheard at a show? Um, I think the coolest thing at this point is that my kids are going to walk the Bon Point show in two days. Uh, and they call it the fashion shoe, which I think is funny too. <laughs> what is the craziest thing you've seen or heard at a show? I remember some, some girls in the audience running on the catwalk, nipples out, and shouting, free, free the nipples. Chloe, would you rather wear your favorite pair of jeans or haute couture for the rest of your life? Most definitely haute couture for the rest of my life because I would have a different outfit every day. And I think I'm Parisian. I was raised in Paris, but I'm also half American. And so I have this wild eccentric side that a little pair of jeans every day could not fulfill. What is the craziest thing that you've ever seen at a fashion show? So I'll show you this picture of me working for Alexander McQueen. Okay. It was years ago. Um, We've got it up here. I was very honored, but I had this big metal... It looks like you have a coat of arms on your face. Exactly. Uh, like a knight. Even on my mouse, can you imagine? <laughs> I couldn't breathe, but uh, that was amazing though. But crazy. <gasps> 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.